I'm going to read it for us, then I'll pray. Okay, Luke 1, verse 39, and we'll go to 45. 39 to 45. And this is going to be kind of the starting point of our Christmas reflection. Okay, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. (laughs) Mm. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that in this um, moment that you would make your love for your people tangible and clear. That in the busyness of the season that you would make your love for your people tangible and clear. That in the thick of the difficult circumstances of life, the stress from all over, Grief from events that we cannot control, that you would make your love for your people tangible and evident in their life. Same Jesus, I pray. Amen. This, is, this scene is this first century tea party. I say tea um, because they were pregnant, and so most likely they weren't knocking back anything stronger than that. But there's these two women in the thick of the greatest story ever told. There's, it tells the story of two women hanging together visiting together. And that, from the very beginning, should tell you that this origin story of this faith is so much different than any other origin story. That in a world that didn't prioritize or elevate or emphasize women, that at the center of the story is two women getting together um, pregnant. And the story, I mean, the Luke, the author, goes to great lengths to explain to you just how unbelievable and impossible the story is. This woman is um, Elizabeth. Uh, She has never been able to conceive. Barren. Um, Surely in this traditional culture would have been mark of her um, lack, just her lack, her inability to do something. It was a mark of shame. Um, And then on the flip side, you have Mary, who's this young woman virgin, and in her is the savior of the world. It's the most impossible story, and the emphasis of it is the fact that Mary goes some 70 miles from the middle of nowhere place that she lives in down to Elizabeth's home. Um, And it's this story that's actually the, the first time that any character in scripture is explained as filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a woman who was barren. And the question I asked this morning is, why does God have to go incognito? We sang the song over the summer when James Maddox was leading us. He led us, it's like one of these like 12-minute songs, right? Uh, It's um, Jesus, You're Beautiful. And uh, the, the words go, I know your eyes are like flames of fire, 
I know that your head is white as wool, and I know your voice, it sounds like water, it's Jesus, you're beautiful. And you sing it because it's a 12-minute song over and over and over again, and it's the same words. And the guy's just hammering away, like singing the same lines over and over again. And in the middle of singing the song, I realized, you know, that's not the picture I usually have of Jesus. I don't conceive of him as having flames of fire and head like wool. And the picture here is of Revelations 19. And Revelations is full of literary imagery, so how much of it is literal, we, we don't know. But I think the emphasis is in the fact that he is majestic. This majestic, majestic God. And this majestic God makes himself able to become baby and um, takes the form of baby and belly of, Eliz- of, of Mary, who's hanging out with Elizabeth in this first century tea party. What must God be like that, that he goes to such great lengths to go incognito? Why? Why does he do it? Um, there are these moments when God has to limit his glory in order to reveal himself to his people. There's a story in Exodus 33. You could turn there with me. It's, um, Ariana actually led us through a bit of this as she was leading worship a few weeks ago. But um, This is page 69, verse 17, all the way in the top left. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. There is a danger to accessing the glory of God. God says, If you you, you cannot see my face and live, but yet the greatest, deepest longing of Moses' heart was to come face to face with the presence of God. And God says, because you want that so much, I will accommodate myself so that you may know me. He hides himself, the fullness of his presence, so that, so that Moses can have a tangible experience of his presence. Um, let's go to page 280, 1 Kings 19. Elijah is in a depressive state. He's had this great victory, but his life is threatened. His life is on the line. He feels the burden and the heat of the fact that such powerful people are going after him. And he doesn't know what to do. Um, He gets self-righteous before the Lord. God, I'm the only one who's faithful to you. I'm the only one who's faithful to you. God says, no, you're not. Um, But because it seems like you are just so in need of something, let me give you something special. I'm going to give you my presence. And so we read, and he said, go out and stand 
on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Two things. One, not only does God accommodate um, Elijah by allowing him to experience his, his presence, what he does also is that he reverses Elijah's expectations. Because when people think of God, they think of thunder and powerful things, but what, what Elijah gets is a soft, gentle, quiet whisper. There's a note in my Bible on the very bottom. It says, a thin silence. There was a silence. There was a hiddenness to the ways that God showed himself. And I think this shows sort of the great difficulty of what it means to know and interact with this God that we serve, because one, He's both majestic, but at the same time hidden, and that's so difficult for us to understand. Because loud, loud, loud is something that the world clamors for, but hidden, that requires a capacity to see, a capacity to understand what it is you're looking for. And so much of what we're trying to do is reorient your expectations so that you won't see what God is doing. Moses and Elijah, these great men of faith, had these unbelievable, tangible experiences of God. But what happens when God hides himself in the belly of a young woman is that now this experience of coming face to face with a living God is not reserved for the high-ranking few. It's a wide-open invitation for all to experience the tangible Love that only God could give. Um, why, though, does he have to go incognito? One, because he accommodates to his creatures so that we could experience the fullness of his love. Um, church father Athanasius wrote this work that um, in every sort of theology class they, they make you read, um, called On the Incarnation. Let me read a quote. He says, on the question of why, um, why God had to become man, you may be wondering why we are discussing the origin of men when we set out to talk about the words becoming man. The former subject is relevant to the latter for this reason. It was our sorry case that caused the word to come down our transgression that called out his love for us so that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. It is we who were the cause of his taking human form and for our salvation that in his great love, he was both born and manifested in a human body. To sum it up, it seems to me that um, what Athanasius is saying is that, that, that God had to come so that he could embody his love for us so that we could feel it, so that we could experience it, so that it could be more than just some uh, thin idea that we hear about ever since we're little, that somehow it can make, be, become evident and strong and sure. Um, another great writer um, wrote about what it, what it means to come face-to-face -face with 
a love this powerful. Um, Bob Dylan wrote this song in 1997. I'm not a Bob Dylan guy. Not yet. I will be. That's going to be, that's what I'm saving for my late stage life. Um, everyone's going to go mumble rap. I'm going to go Bob Dylan. Um, he wrote this song in 1997 called uh, To Make, uh, Make You Feel My Love. And it was a, a lot of people consider it when he came out with his album. I actually read the backstory to it. Um, we're going a little homily this morning, so um, this is where we land the plane. But it was a throwaway song on his album. Rolling Stone Panda, they said, um, they said uh, generic lyrics, not very impressive. And he wrote it off. Um, and it sort of quietly went away, but then all of a sudden it gets picked around. It gets picked up by Garth Brooks. He sings a cover to the point that uh, Ariana Warren thought that he was the one who wrote the song. Uh, the producer, Billy Joel, uh, gave it to him and said, um, um, like, this is a great song. And I printed out the lyrics because people have been so stunned. I mean, Rolling Stone was like, Dylan seems to be read like, saying these words with this ornery Jesus tone. And I think it's become so popular because these are the, this is what every person longs to hear somebody sing over them. And the reason why, you know, people who pick this up and start singing it and um, Rolling Stone told a story of one of, the, one of the producers. He heard the song and just listened to it 15 times straight. Like, there was this, the, there's this like, generic sense of this ballad, but as he listens to it, it, it lands so deeply. And the phrase that they pointed to in Rolling Stone about, like, oh, like, this Jesus sense, is this line, um, third stanza to the bottom, I'd go hungry, I'd go black and blue, I'd go crawling down the avenue. There's nothing that I wouldn't do to make you feel my love. But I'll start from the top, and I'm just going to read it to you. And I, I promise, if this is your first time with us, we go more exegetical sometimes, but it's Christmas. And we've been doing sad things. So Bob Dylan writes, When the rain is blowing in your face and the whole world is on your case, I could offer you a warm embrace to make you feel my love. When the evening shadows and the stars appear, there's no one there to dry your tears. I could hold you for a million years to make you feel my love. I know you haven't made your mind up yet. There's consent and choice, optionality. But I would never do you wrong. I'd known it from the moment that we met. No doubt in my mind where you belong. Now listen, I'd go hungry. I'd go black and blue. I'd go crawling down the avenue. There's nothing that I wouldn't do to make you feel my love. The storms are raging on the rolling sea and on the highway of regret. Put your hand in mine and come with me. I'll see that you don't get wet. I could make you happy, make your dreams come true. Nothing that I wouldn't do. Go to the ends of the earth for you to make you feel my love. I think it resonates so deeply because a self-sacrificial love that goes all out in pursuit of you is everything that every person craves to hear sung over them. And it shows the extent to which God would go to make his love for us evident. And 
this is what we see in Christmas. The story of the incarnation of God becoming man is so wild. But this is what he had to do to the lengths that he must go to show his love for you. One of the things that really brought this home for me uh, a few years ago, I heard this story when I was in college and often repeated, I heard Keller tell it once that, you know, and we, we saw it at um, the Shakespeare movie, uh, Shakespeare, the C.S. Lewis movies. C.S. Lewis has this quote about how um, there's no way for Hamlet, one of his characters, to ever know Shakespeare. Hamlet is mere uh, creature and, uh, and Shakespeare the creator. So what Hamlet... What, what Hamlet must do is be able to experience Shakespeare in his own world. Shakespeare must write himself into the story so that Hamlet could get to know him. And so what we believe happens at Christmas is that God writes himself into the story, takes on a disguise, and walks among his people so that they might know him. With all our limited creaturely capacity and inability to understand something so wonderful and beautiful, what he does is that he takes on a disguise, walks among his people, reveals a fullness of who God is. This is the incarnation. Modern example of this, uh, one, of the, one of the things that um, I love about Christmas is I get to watch my favorite YouTube video, which is of, um, there's uh, the BBC Health and Adele impersonator contest. And um, I watch it every year, and I watched it again earlier this week, and I just started crying because this is what happens. They, they, they bring out these like six to seven people who have all impersonated Adele, you know, in bars, parties. They take on, like they put on her clothes and they sing her songs. And um, what they, the BBC did is they put together like this fake contest of who's the best impersonator. And, and what they do is they put Adele in a costume. They give her a prosthetic nose. They, um, they put gloves on her to cover her tattoos. They, she changes the way she speaks because she says that she talks fast and harsh. And um, she's going to tell everybody she's a nanny because they, they, nannies talk slow and make the world make sense. And one by one, all the other impersonators go up and they sing her song. She's in the back chatting it up. No one knows. No one has a clue that it's her. Just imagine, you spend your life like hearing that voice and singing those songs and impersonating her and taking on her clothes, and no one knows it's her. And um, they all go one at a time, taking their, taking their shot, singing their song, and then she goes up. And they have no clue. Um, to play it up a little bit, she even misses her starting note. She asks for a second chance. Everybody talks about how she was nervous in the back. And then she starts singing this song, Make You Feel My Love. And she's singing through the lyrics, and immediately a couple people recognize. They know she looks different, but they, they recognize her voice. And then some begin to get real emotional and start crying. They're like, this is the person they've been longing to see. By the end, she starts singing, singing the lyrics, I could make you happy, make your dreams come true. One of the ladies in the audience just starts crying and exclaiming the, the sentence. This is the very moment of their dreams that they could come face to face with the one that they've copied and admired for so long. 
And I thought to myself, that is it. That is the picture. That is our story. We get the great task of being able to copy and emulate and admire this great king of ours who takes on a disguise. And in moments of recognition, we see exactly what the story is and what it means to our lives and to the world. And sometimes that recognition is, is only for a moment. Lewis says, we may ignore, we can, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend, and in fact, to come awake. Still more to remain awake. The world is, is full of his presence. And in brief glimpses, we understand just how present he is. And my prayer for you, for us, for City Chapel, is that we would see he takes on a disguise, goes incognito, so that we could feel his love. Cheesy but true. So we asked the question this morning, what is your favorite Christmas song? I submit to you this one. Because if we only understood the great lengths that the God of the universe would go so that we could know him, this would be our song. And as a treat, I texted Ariana this morning. I said, hey, did you, you know this song? And she said, I actually sang it uh, for um, a talent show, or, or your talent show edition. So this is what we're going to do. She's going to sing it. And I, I deeply believe, the more I looked into these lyrics, that the ache and the cry of the human soul is to have someone sing this over you. And I think that it's been covered by Garth Brooks and Billy Joel and um, Adele and so many others. Uh, other names escape me right now because it's resonant. This is what we long to hear. And in Christmas, it becomes true. I'd go hungry, I'd go black and blue 
I'd go crawling down the avenue There's nothing that I wouldn't do mm, To make you feel my love Storms are raging on the rolling sea And on the highway Put your hand